Hello and welcome back to the Outdoor Cast. We are live here in the Smokehouse. I'm Chris and I'm here with Pat and Drew as always and we got a special guest today, our friend Michael. Today we're going to talk about our luck last weekend, hanging limb lines and stuff that we talked about in the last episode. We're going to talk about boats and then do a review on Drew's new gun case. Stay tuned. Michael, why don't you tell us a little about yourself? Well, my name is Michael Collins. I'm 23 years old. I'm from Jefferson City, Missouri. I've lived there almost all my life. I got my start in the outdoors uh, by fishing at a very young age. Soon after, I started fly fishing and really got hooked into that at about age 10. I've been tying my own, my own flies, uh, fly fishing ever since. I uh, hit a lot of the trout parks around Missouri, uh, fish a lot of local lakes and uh, rivers, uh, do a little bit of bass fishing with spinning and uh, catfishing on the river, um, but I stick mainly to fly fishing. Um, it's where my heart lies. I've uh, been doing some uh, small game hunting this past year. I've never really been much of a hunter until uh, the last year, so I've been um, getting into that a little bit. It's expensive, but I'm enjoying it. Also getting into the, uh, the AR-15 scene a little bit. Um, I like the tactical shooting. I was in the military for a short period of time, and I uh, work with police now, so i uh, really enjoying that. Now you did some, you've done some dove hunting and stuff like that, haven't you? I've done some dove hunting in, hunting in the past. I've, uh, eh, more recreation. I've never taken it seriously. I plan on taking it pretty seriously this next year, though. All right. Well, thanks, Michael. Well, this last week we did some fishing. Um, I'll let Drew fill you in a little bit about what we did. Uh, we took a John boat that is Pat's wife's dad's boat, and we took that down to the Perchy Creek, just a tributary of the Missouri River, and we were going to set out some bank lines. Had a little bit of trouble with the weather there at the beginning. It thunder and lightning and poured on us for, what, 15, 20 minutes, and then cut yeah, out, maybe. and it was got sunny and hot, normal Missouri weather, but worked out pretty well. Had a little bit of problems with the water in the boat at the beginning, but we cleared it up, got some of the weight out, and... Worked out pretty well. We went, what, you'd say about half a mile upriver? Um, Three-fourths of a mile total? Yeah, it, was, it was a little over half a mile, I believe. I looked it up on the map. Okay, yeah, we went, it's a decent ways up the creek. It wasn't too far. Up, and we set, what, six to eight bank lines, and then at the end we set a trot line across the entire a width of the creek. 50-ish foot trot line? Yeah. It, it was a thinner part of the creek, but it crossed the whole creek, and... Hooks about every six six feet. No, it was. Not uh, even five I would say it was like every three feet or so. Okay. There was a hook. Uh, the hooks were on slide, a little bit of sliders, so they they got to slide around about sixteen inches. And we were running mostly cut bait, worms, and goldfish on our bank lines and trout line. Just yeah. a little bit of everything, trying to get a bit of variety out there, see what we can catch. We used some goldfish cut bait, or uh, excuse me, bluegill cut bait. Uh, we also used some frozen shad sides. We uh, on one of them we tried these little strawberry dough bait, pre-made dough bait things we picked up at the tackle shop for fairly cheap. Yeah, we were just using a little electric trolling motor. The the river we found out after we got I don't know about halfway up where we were going that it was that the river was back flowing into the creek, so water was moving upstream. Uh, the Missouri River we've gotten a lot of rain out west, not so much rain here, so the Missouri River is high. But none of the tributaries have water flowing down them, so it's 
it's back flowing. So on our way, when we went to go pull lines, we had a few lines that were farther underwater. Uh, we did have some that were underwater. The water probably came up a good foot, foot and a half while we were out there. Yeah, one culvert you could, you know, you probably could have looked across was only had about an inch or so of, of the culvert standing up where we set one of the bank lines next to. Uh, by the time that we came out. If you're curious what our bank lines look like, we have a video on the Facebook page of Pat explaining kind of how we rigged rigged those up this weekend. And, and those we were some, those were limb lines. We didn't actually run bank lines. Maybe. And we've got some pictures of some of the, the fish we caught. Yeah, uh, it wasn't that great. It, usually when you go out there and run bank lines, limb lines, trot lines, usually you catch quite a few fish. But we got out there, realized that the creek was back flowing, so... We weren't, you know, once we realized that, we didn't really have too terribly high hopes. Uh, we did catch a couple of them. Uh, Drew lost one of them, but, you know, that, that happens. One problem we realized that once we got out there, well, when we were pulling the lines on our trout line, that we had a lot of them that pulled off the swivels. We were using, our trout line had, was it a nylon kind of cord? Yeah. And some of the, looked like we had fish on, and they pulled the cord out. So next time we go down, we're going to replace those with Dacron and maybe do a little better job tying knots. That's probably on me, and hopefully we won't lose those fish next time. You know, he's a Boy Scout. He's supposed to be good at knots. You think, but, but um, another mistake we made was not having our trout line rigged up before we got out there because tying lots of little knots and tying hooks and stuff on in a boat isn't the easiest, and the three of us in the boat, we had it pretty weighted down. We were a little, we should have, a little crowded. Somebody should have went out on a kayak. This is what we've decided, that if we do this again... Uh, it's probably going to be, if we take that boat out again, it's probably going to be one or two people in a kayak and maybe one or two people in the boat. Um, the boat's nice to have for landing fish, but for actually setting it up, a kayak would be so much more convenient, especially in the kind of area we're having to go to because that boat, you know, doesn't, once you get it loaded down with stuff, doesn't maneuver all that well, so it takes a long time to maneuver it in. You're spooking any fish that might be in there uh, because it's fairly shallow. Uh, the creek's flooded right now, so you're you're back in shallower areas where you're not normally in uh, because there's a lot of there's a lot of structure along the bank. So uh, we're we're get, trying to get that boat in there in fairly shallow water. We're talking maybe at the deepest parts of where we were setting these lines, it was five feet deep. Uh, well, that was when we started. Uh, let's say five feet deep, so they they can hear any movement we make in the boat, things like that. And, you know, we were only setting them out. I think we went set out for four hours or so. For, you know, on the long side, we had them set out for four hours. So it really didn't – we didn't give it quite enough time for the water to calm down either. So if we went out in kayaks, we can maneuver into those little little uh, little spots, tight spots a lot easier, be able to set up bank lines a lot faster. Uh, so that's something we've learned from, from doing that. We did have some luck, though. We caught a couple catfish, like Pat said. We also caught a couple gar caught a pack caught a bass yep. on a on a on a bank line while we were sitting there just, fishing with our rods. Uh, we had some gar swimming around so I got the biggest goldfish I could, put it on the smallest hook I could get that nylon line through and just threw it out there just to see if I couldn't catch a gar on it, just kinda playing around and uh, I left it sit for about fifteen, twenty minutes and Chris says, Hey Pat, you're getting a bite on that line Went over and yanked it up. It was what three-quarter pound bass or so it might have been a little better than that yeah three-quarter to a pound somewhere in there we didn't skip you know we didn't wait or anything we just unhooked it took a picture threw it back uh we did put pictures of that up on our facebook page uh pretty much i think everything except for one of the gar we caught on a trot line we did put on our facebook page it wasn't anything spectacular um but you know we did get a little bit of meat to put in the freezer off of that uh and all in all it was a good learning experience next time we'll be 
little better rig when we go out there, have our bank lines and stuff already tied and ready to go so we can put them on a lot quicker and run a few more and then have our trot lines set up before we get out there. Yeah, we did stop at one. We stopped on a little beach there to go tie up our trot line, the back, the end of our trot line. We went to go tie it up to a tree. And uh, we sat there for, what, 10 minutes or so. And uh, I, I had uh, got out of the boat, and that was a lot of fun because the bank just kind of dropped off where I decided to step out, about hurt myself. I'm getting out, walking around. I walked... I walked up and down the bank a few times. I looked down, sitting right behind Chris, where he was sitting in the boat. There was a nice little antler. I mean, it's nothing big, but you know, we found a nice shed just sitting right there. Uh, squirrels had gotten to it a little bit. We did put a picture of that on the Facebook page, but you know, we all three of us probably looked right at it two or three times before anybody found it. So that was neat. Um, we got to see a bald eagle sitting in a tree, just sitting there squawking at us. That was pretty cool. Uh, it was an enjoyable time. We we got we got to explore the creek, you know, a little more in depth than we normally do. Um, and we got to see how it floods, and uh, it was a, it was a great learning experience. We learned a lot about what what to do and what not to do for next time. For the rest of the week, um, we didn't do any more catfishing. This evening before we did the podcast, Drew, Michael, and I went out and hit a local lake that the conservation department runs and did a little fly fishing for panfish. Uh, caught some bluegill. Didn't catch any crappie this time, but it was a good time. Nothing too special, but that, that was uh, pretty much the extent of the fishing we did this week. Yes, we ended up being a lot busier than any of us expected, I think. So, Lately, this week and for the past almost a month now, I've been fishing down in Jeff City. It's a place called Binder Lake. It's also a conservation-run lake that I fish maybe uh, three to four times a week now. I've mainly been targeting bluegill. You know, I, I, I like to fish panfish a lot. Um, Are you targeting those on a fly rod? On a fly rod, yeah. I use, I use a seven weight. It's a pretty good size lake. It's a 155-acre lake, so I like to use the seven weight, get some good distance. Um, I, I like to fish panfish um, whenever I'm not out trout fishing because, you know, you, almost any fly you use for panfish, you can also use for trout. Um, it gives you good practice. Uh, you can see how fish hit, well, the kind of movements they do in the water. Uh, where they're laying around at, um, all that kind of nice stuff. Um, it's actually been really good fishing down there. We're talking maybe uh, on, on better days, it's 25 fish an hour. All very, very good-sized fish. Um, I don't know if it's the conservation stocking them or if it's just not been fished very hard like what I'm doing. I'm using very, very specific techniques um, to catch these fish that you know I see a lot of other people go out and try, even with fly rods, and they just... They're not doing it. I don't know what it is. I've been using it's it's a uh, terrestrial honeybee pattern, but I decided to put a uh, um, a little nymph bead on it, and it's a size um, it's a size ten uh, dry fly hook actually, and it's just been killing them. You know, you let it uh, drop down to about uh, four feet under the surface and start stripping it erratically, and they just slam it every single time. So I've been having great luck out there. Um, so when you do that, what what kind of uh, bug are you trying to emulate with that? Are you just trying to go strictly from an aggression pattern on that? Um, you know, I, I don't know why they hit it aggre- when I strip it in aggressively like that. Um, originally, what I thought was maybe it's just it looks like a, a nymph or some sort of emerger. And now I'm not really sure because emergers, naturally, they don't really um, swim that erratically. So I'm not really sure what they think it is. So um, are, when you're doing that, are you getting um, mostly... When the sun's right on the area where you're fishing, so, you know, maybe it is bugs coming up to the surface emerging. I mean, have you noticed any kind of pattern when you're doing that, or has it just been kind of random? The pattern is 
Um, anytime later in the evening, you're going to be doing a lot better. Um, that's pretty common with any kind of fishing. Also, um, high winds, you're not going to do so well. Uh, I think the the high movement in the water really sends them deep. See, I would, I would, I would disagree with that. I mean, because usually what's happening when you get the high winds, it's moving around all the plankton and other other micro microorganisms in the pond. So it's moving them all into one spot. So you've just got to work with the wind and go fish with wind because the little bait fish, your minnows, things like that, they're going to follow all those microorganisms. And then, of course, the bigger fish are going to follow the bait fish, things like that. You know, so you're going to have them pretty much condensed in one area. I actually prefer fishing, fly fishing, and uh, spinning things like that when you're in a when you're in a confined lake or something like that. Creeks and streams is a little bit different, but on lakes, I prefer fishing when it's heavily windy like that, especially for bass and crappie because those are fairly aggressive predators. Could it be where you're targeting them at? Are you looking for structure? Are you trying to just catch them out cruising on beds? What What are you looking for when you go out in there and pick a spot to fish? Honestly, the flats are where it's producing. Um, like I said, it's a conservation-run lake. There's a lot of uh, uh, man-made crappie beds out in the area where I'm fishing. I, I catch them mainly off structure in the flats. Um, the wind, I really don't know. Uh, I will say that after after a good windy day, the next day, it, the fishing is just phenomenal. So um, are you seeing any of them, uh, are, have you seen any of the crappie up in the shallow spawning, or are they mostly up there feeding right now? Crappie, um, you know, the crappie fishing's been pretty poor there. Uh, every once in a gray while, I see a crappie come out of there. Uh, you know, Binder Lake was actually never meant to have crappie in it. Um, I was talking to somebody that uh, was around before Binder Lake was even uh, built, and he was actually, so he said, was one of the people that put crappie in there illegally. Um, like I said, Binder's not really meant for crappie, and I, after fishing it this heavily, I can I can see why. Now, Isn't it a shallow lake? Could that be part of it? And Binder at its deepest is about 15, 18 feet deep at its deepest. Oh, now, when you say at its deepest, is it is it a your common bowl size? Is it your more of a bowl-shaped lake, or is it... Kind of, you've got a 15 foot hole here, and then you've got it drops off or drops up to a five foot, you know, five foot deep, and then drops back down to 10. Or is it just a steady? Down? Very steady. Um, there's a there's a channel that runs along. It's a very long, so narrow it's, lake. So it's dammed up creek. Uh, yeah, more or less. Like an intermittent stream or something like that. That's been dammed pretty up. much, yeah. It's it's been dammed up pretty well. Uh, there's there's a small little channel that runs straight down the middle. Um, other than that, it's very gentle sloped. Um, yeah, the crappie fishing is, I mean, it's, I've seen better years this year. It's been pretty poor, which is unfortunate. Um, I will say that the crappie that you are catching out of there are pretty good sized. Uh, they're in the eight to eight to 10 inch range, which is better than I've been seeing in other lakes around mid Missouri. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of the big problem we have with, uh, crappie in Missouri, especially in conservation stocked, uh, lakes and ponds and things is, they don't get fished enough, so they get over they overpopulate really fast. And anybody who's ever fished in overpopulated crappie uh, crappie waters, there you get a bunch of your six to eight inch crappie, and they don't get much bigger than that. Uh, we have almost every lake that the conservation has ever stocked crappie in has a little sign there that says, "Please take the under ten inch crappie to help uh, promote good health, healthy crappie growth, things like that," because they do what. Crappies sit in little areas, and they overpopulate, and they overpopulate really fast. And, you know, Little Dixie is a prime example of that. I've, yeah. I've been to Little Dixie plenty of times where we've caught nothing but, you know, six to six to seven-inch crappie. But the thing about Little Dixie, huge... though, is there are big crappie in there. Um, I mean, 
I've pulled out some, you know, 18-inch crappie out of there. It's not common. You pull out one every year or so. You know, if you hit it hard, you can maybe get uh, some 15-inchers out of there on a fairly regular basis. But you have to be hitting it pretty hard. You have to be, you have to know exactly where the fish are. But, uh, you know, you do catch, Little Dixie's kind of weird. Like, usually when you have lakes like that, it's all little fish. Little Dixie, you get some big ones. Uh, a lot of that is because Little Dixie does have decent blue cat in there that do help keep the population down in some of the the less human, the you know, less areas where humans go. Absolutely. And, you know, another exciting thing about uh, Binder and Little Dixie is um, they're a little bit different from most conservation lakes in the area. The conservation stocks what's called a red ear uh, sunfish, which are um, very highly coveted. Um, there's plenty of them in both lakes, the, uh, they're very hard to catch, though. They're very elusive. You know, they, they're, if you don't know what it is, it's a very, very large bluegill, essentially. They get well over two pounds easy. Um, and you've pretty much got to be running flies on those. I mean, I've absolutely. Caught some, I've caught a couple on worms, but most of them have been on flies or crappie jigs. You know, their, their nickname is actually called a shellcracker, and the reason that is is because they, uh, they mainly eat mollusks, little snails and everything that live on the bottom. Um, in, inside of their uh, jaw, they have some teeth in the back of their jaw that are uh, specially designed to crack those shells. And it's, it's very difficult to imitate, um, imitate what they naturally feed on. So, you know, every, every once in a while you get lucky and you may land on a bed of them. But uh, very elusive, very hard to catch. Um, but they are, man, they are really fun on a fly rod. All right. Um, well, I think we're going to move into our main topic of the week, and that was uh, what we're, we're, you know, going out last week in the boat. We kind of got thinking about boats and things like that, and, you know, what boats would be best for our situations, our kind of fishing. What, if we, you know, if funds were unlimited, what boats would we have if we could have multiple boats, or if we all got a boat and we just, you know, we each got a boat for a specific purpose. Um... So I think we'll start off, and we'll let Drew start out with what kind of boat he would get for, you know, what kind of purpose and why, and we'll go from there. Uh, like I said in uh, one of the earlier podcasts was, I do a lot of catfishing down on the Perch Creek and the river. So for me, I do love bass fishing, and I like the bass trackers, but I'm never, I've never hung out with a lot of guys who go out to, like, Lake of the Ozarks or Truman Lake or somewhere else where it's bigger where you can take a bass boat out and really use one. So I've never really been into the bass trackers. I really do like the uh, aluminum style flat bottom John boats, or even a slight V bottom. Uh, it's a little, it's nicer for the rivers, for the creeks, because there's um there's a lot of structure you can hit logs, uh, trash, man-made stuff under the water you could you could run into, and with those metal boats, it's, it's they're more durable. They're easier to fix too. They're a lot cheaper. They're much cheaper. easier to fix. Yes. Uh, fiberglass repair is not cheap. And those shallow V's and those flat bottoms, you can run them much higher in the water with a decent amount of weight and not there's not a huge risk of you hitting things. And for what I like to do catfishing, it's they're nice. You can run if you get a long enough one like an 18 footer, a bigger one, you can run have a bunch of bank poles in there. I mean a bunch on the sides there and you really load it down with some catfish gear and go out and just target those cats there on the creek or there on the river. And you can you can run some big long poles on those boats, and it, it, it's easy to carry them. And I would love to do some bow fishing. I've done it in the past, not very much, 
but I know a lot of guys and they love to use those John boats because it's a big flat top so you get a good a good solid standing point so you can get some better shots off of them so for me I'd rather run a John boat with a I don't know and Almost any motor. I don't need to be going too fast in a John boat. So. Yeah, just whatever you know. Whatever, whatever I can get. It, that, yeah, I mean something bigger that's than, matched. Yeah, to the something boat bigger really than well. yeah, matched to the boat, bigger than a trolling motor. But. Yeah, and see what I like about like the you get those extra wide. I think is what they're called. There's some. There's a Sea Arc they make. Sea uh, Arc is just a particular brand of uh, mostly flat bottom. I think they make some semi V's as well. I don't know if they make anything bigger than that. Uh, but I would, if I was, you know, if I was looking at one, at a, one of those kind of boats, I would get one of the wider ones personally, because then you could always. Uh, the good thing about those big ones is you can put a kayak on. You could strap your kayak on the side of it, keep it out of the water until you're ready to go run those bank lines, and you can always just ha leave somebody in the boat, and then they can, you know, you can hop out in the kayak and go and set those bank lines. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I would much rather if I'm going to get one, I'd get a wider one. Wider and longer. Wide and as long as possible to fit with your vehicle. You can pull it or... Well, I don't know that I would go... I think 23 foot for me would probably... Because a lot of the waters we're fishing... I mean, if we go fishing the rivers, the tributary stuff, you get much longer than that, you're going to have trouble getting it turned around and things. Oh, yeah. I mean, 20 foot boat for me is a decent sized boat. Yeah. I've fished in boats bigger than that, but I... Personally, I I, I don't need one. Yeah. No, I, would, I, I mean, I wouldn't mind having one at all. I'd, I would try and use it, but... Yeah, I've, I, I think 17 to 23 foot, somewhere in there, depending on the size of waters you have. Yeah. Uh, yeah that's the main thing you kind of need to think about is how how shallow you're going to be running. That can be deter that's determined, you know, on whether you're needing a V, semi-V, flat bottom. And, you know, how big it is is how wide of a stream you're going to be fishing. If you're going to be fishing a really wide stream, you're not going to want to, you're not going to want anything bigger than a 23 to try to, to try turn around in. It could be, you know pretty hectic uh chris what would you if you could get a boat what, what would your boat be well i kind of i kind of went through this last year when i was looking at maybe buying a bass boat or buying a canoe or buying a kayak and what i ended up settling on was i bought kayaks i actually have a couple of them the reason i ended up going with a kayak the boats are nice but you need a big truck to pull them well not necessarily a big truck but you need a truck or an suv to pull them and i feel like with a boat especially if you're going on the river it's kind of a multi-person deal so one of the reasons I went with a kayak was I can put it on top of my car, I can throw it on top of the Jeep, I can put a couple of them on top of my Jeep, and I go out by myself, I can go out with friends, and it doesn't, other than the gas to get there, it doesn't really cost me any money to run it either. When you're running riverboats and stuff, I mean, every, every little thing adds up, gas adds up and all that. So the kayak was the way I went. Uh, they're a lot of fun. Obviously, you can't stand up and stuff in them, but uh, for targeting a lot of the, like, lakes and stuff, our conservation department does a really good job in Missouri, and we have a lot of opportunities around here for lakes and stuff to go out and fish in, and those have been working perfect for me. Sometimes the kayaks, they blow around and stuff in the wind, so you have to, it's a different kind of fishing, you got to get used to doing that. One of the ways I've kind of dealt with that, I don't like to mess with the anchors and stuff too much, is set myself up along a bank with the wind at my back, and kind of use the wind, uh, my body's acting as a sail and kind of pushing me along, and use that to fish your way down. I've got two different types of kayaks. I have a sit inside and a sit on top. The sit inside is nice for, like we run bank lines and stuff like that. That's what I'm gonna use because you can put a bunch of stuff in your lap, just easily tuck stuff down inside the kayak. When I go bass fishing and stuff, I like, I have a big sit on top and with a rudder system on it. So when I'm doing the drift technique, I, I don't ever have to put my paddle in the water. 
I just can I can use my feet to control my rudder and kind of point myself. I can drift farther into the bank, farther away. So that's the technique I've been using. The bass boats are nice. I mean, I'd like to have one, but I'm kind of waiting on one of these guys. Michael's got one, but let them let them do with that. They've got the big trucks and everything. And for the moment, I've been sticking with the kayaks, and I've been I've been happy with that. And aside from just the fishing, the kayaks are nice because they're to take people who don't fish out in take my girlfriend out, other people like that, just to, it's fun to go out and paddle around in the water. And those are really user friendly. Pretty much anybody with a, like a minute of instruction can hop in a kayak and go paddle around the lake and have fun even if you're not using it for fishing or running bank lines or anything like that. Yeah. Michael, uh, you actually have a boat. Why don't you tell us uh, kind of your thought process of the, the, the well, first start out with what kind of boat you have, kind of your thought process of why you got that boat and, uh, you know, Anything you might do differently next time you buy a boat or, you know, when you go to, you know, if you were to buy a second boat or something like that. What I've got right now is a, um, it's a 16-foot bass tracker. It's an aluminum semi-V, and it's got a a Mercury 35-horsepower engine on the back. Um, It's a prop. Um, You know, I really enjoy it. Um, Right now, it's, it's, it's got to get some work done to it before we get it back in the water. But uh, we took it out a lot last year, and uh, it's 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 really it's really nice for running up and down um, the rivers in in uh, Jeff City. We've got a lot of uh, tributaries to the Missouri River that run through there, and um, they they're generally pretty deep. They're a lot deeper than the uh, the areas that they're setting bank lines up in Columbia. Um, so it's very nice for that. Uh, it can hold itself pretty well on the Missouri River, even in pretty pretty quick water, which is always nice. Um, really, really good for. For pretty well anything you want to do around here, short of uh, Lake of the Ozarks or any of the bigger tribute, um, any of the bigger reservoirs or lakes, um, you know, if I were to buy another boat, it would probably, man, it's got to be a tie between a kayak or a uh, or a drift boat. Um, kayaks would be nice um, for smaller lakes and ponds around the area. Um, I like what Chris said about um, you can, uh, you know, you can just find a find a bank on the wind and just drift straight down. Uh, fishing the sides, um, I, you know, and I, I'd really like to get a drift boat. Uh, like I said, I do a lot of fishing, uh, trout fishing. A lot of those streams, a drift boat would be the perfect uh, craft to use. Uh, you've got plenty of control. It's, it's a rowboat essentially, that's built for uh, rapids. So whenever you go down through rapids, and you, you know, you can hold yourself really well. They're easy to stand up in. Um, they've got a nice uh, deck on them that you know you can drop your fly line through, and um, you really won't get tangled up in it. Um, as long as you've got, you can do it with one or two people, and um, you know, I really don't know too much about them. I know they go uh, ten between ten, ten and uh, fourteen feet is the um, regular lengths. Um, now, where would be somebody in Missouri where you'd be able to use a drift boat? Because I mean, they're really not great for slow moving, you know, heavy stream rivers like like the Missouri or anything like that. So, I mean, where would where would you use a drift boat at? Um, you know, you're right. You wouldn't want to use it on the Missouri or even, like, the Moro, which is in Jeff City. It's a good catfish river. Um, really wouldn't want to use it on anything slow-moving because you're going to be, you know, killing yourself paddling. Anything south of... Uh, that or turbulent. Uh, the, well, because when I say turbulent, I mean you've got... Uh, the swirls and all yeah, that. Yeah, the swirls. Right. Missouri's really bad about having whirlpools. And it you is. Have those un- you have uh, jetties and stuff that go underwater, and, you know, that'll really throw you off in those kind of boats. Yep. Uh, the drift boats are actually um, very, very well suited for uh, the Ozark streams, which are, um, it's a little mountain range in the southern half of the state. 
Um, they're mostly spring-fed and very, very uh, shallow, quick rivers. Um, you know, that's that's mainly where you'd want to use a drift boat at, uh, that you've, you've got maximum control in um, shallow water like that. Now, I know you're saying, you know, you don't know too terribly much about them, but do you know about how, uh, how durable are they? Because a lot of... The problem we have in Missouri, and I don't know, I haven't fished enough other another other states, uh, especially on smaller streams like that, to know. Uh, but you know, our rivers here in Missouri, we have a lot of tr trash, and by trash, I mean uh, giant sycamore trees, things like that, that have fallen in the river. How durable are they against uh, sunken rocks or sunken trees or anything like that? They are built to uh, stand up to abuse like that. They're actually um, the real name of them is called Western Drift Boats. And they're actually, um, where they originated from is for western uh, streams uh, in the Rocky, Rocky Mountains, Mountain rivers, yeah. Rocky Mountain Rivers, you know, Cascades. They are, they are designed to stand up to um, hitting rocks, logs, anything. They, they are meant to get beat up. Now, are these fiberglass? Are they wood? Are they All the above. aluminum? Yeah. All the yeah. above. Um, not, not so much aluminum, but fiberglass and wood is going to be your most common. Okay. Um, all right. Well, uh, if... I've, I'm going to throw out something a little bit different from what they have. Uh, just because they've covered boats that you can go out with. You know, you can take multiple people out and do these kind of things. Uh, one that I've been thinking about, and it's kind of a boat. It's it's more of a flotation device, is an inner tube. Uh, we have a lot of lakes and stuff around here that are perfect for inner tubes. But the problem with inner tubes is they're black, so in the sunshine you've got snake problems. Um, the, the snakes, oh, you know, it's... You're going to be covered in snakes in some of the places where we fish around here. Uh, one of the lakes we have around here has a bunch of sunken trees and stuff. Perfect for bass. Uh, perfect for big crappie. You know, they're not so great for catfish. But if you're wanting to go out and you're wanting to go fly fishing for some bass, because even bait casters, uh, inner tubes are great. You know, you can get them. You can get a decent one for under $100. It's Like I said, it's not something you can really go out with other people on because it's just for you. Um... It's essentially like a big, it, it's a fancy tractor inner tube is what it is, and you put paddles on. A lot of them will have mesh and stuff, and it's got a nice comfy seat on the back of it, to, you know, to you know let you rest in there. So you've got mesh where you can put your tackle on the stuff, things uh, tackle on the side, things like that. Uh, they're really nice for getting back in places where you can't really get to in a boat because there's too many trees, things like that. Uh, they're like a kayak. They're real easy to take out. Actually, they're a lot easier to take out even than a kayak. You can go out there and five minutes be on the water. Uh, they're they're really handy, especially if you're just want you know if you're wanting to go out for an hour and go fishing really quick. They're really handy. Uh, some of the cons to the to them are you know they are an inner tube. They're a rubber inner tube. They break down from UV light. Will break them down. They can puncture really easy. Things like that. Uh, so you, you do have to keep up. There is some maintenance you have to do on them. Uh, but other than that, they're, you know, they're a pretty pretty decent little quick runabout kind of option. Um, if I was to actually go get a real boat, I think I would probably look at, look at one of a... I would go with a strictly flat bottom John boat. Probably something extra wide. 14 foot is kind of a minimum. I don't really have too much ambitions. I, it has to be nice to go on the river. Uh, but I don't really see that as a main necessity for me. I prefer to fish the tributaries and, you know, even things like Lake of the Ozarks, a 14 foot John boat would be perfect for, unless you're fishing out on the main channel of the river, which, or of the Lake of the Ozarks. It's not where I'm going to be want to be fishing. I'm going to be fishing the back, 
the back uh, coves, things like that. A 14-footer with, you know, even with a 30, a 30, 40 horsepower motor is going to be perfect for that. Um, you know, something that would definitely need to be on there is some kind of live well, whether it's built in, whether it's a handmade with a cooler or something like that. Uh, and then a trolling motor, of course, you're going to want a decent trolling motor, especially uh, fishing in areas where you're going to have to get tight and you have to make technical movements. Uh, you all have anything else you want to add on to that? I don't know. I think we've pretty much covered most of the boats we're going to use uh, inland fishing anyways. Uh, we do have fiber. We're not a big fan of fiberglass boats just because, like I said before, uh, we do have so many trees, down structure, things like that in the water. Uh, fiberglass boats tend to get tore up unless you're fishing the really big lakes around here. Uh, so, And with that, we don't... We don't really do much boat bass fishing. When we think boats, we're thinking cat fishing just because we don't really have lakes that, you know, cater to bass fishing and fiberglass. Most of the lakes around here have a um, have an electric motor only policy or they have a 25 horse limit, which means you're pretty much just turning any, you know, any big fiberglass boat. You're just turning the motor over to idle and just idling around everywhere. So we don't really have much experience, much, much need for a big fiberglass boat, you know, for for those reasons. Um, I don't know. Is there anything you all want to add to that? I think we're good. All right. Well, um, kind of on the same boat subject, we're going to move on to a little boat safety. Uh, we did find we did find out a little a little bit last week uh, things we were doing unsafe, and we kind of wanted to pass that along. Uh, first and foremost, always have a life jacket, whether it's on you or it's on the boat. Most most states require that you have one at least on the boat for every person. Uh, anybody under the age of 16 is supposed to have it on at all times. Especially if you're fishing by yourself. Like when I go out with a group and in the kayak, it's in the kayak. Because I have flipped one over messing around before. And it's nice having one you can pull out and put on because you're trying to drag your boat and all your stuff back to shore. But if I'm out by myself, always wear a life jacket. It's real easy to flip over and knock your head or something like that. And if there's no one else out there to help you or pull you out, you're... You're going to be glad you had it on. Yeah, and something I would add about a life jacket, um, get a decent life jacket. Don't trust those, like, really cheap. You know, you, know, you can go to Walmart and you can get a $5, $10 life jacket. I personally don't trust those, uh, especially if it's something I'd be wearing all the time, like if I am out by myself or something like that. I prefer the neoprene ones. They tend to float a little bit better. Uh, they also keep you a little bit warmer whenever and, the water gets. And the nice ones are generally more comfortable to wear. Yeah. If it's really uncomfortable to wear, you're going to find yourself taking it off all the time when you should be wearing it. Yeah, there are some downsides to like the neoprene style. They're a lot hotter. So in the summer, it sucks. But when it's cold, they're nice. So yeah. I mean, there's a trade-off with everything. But you can get some nice ones that aren't neoprene too that are going to be comfortable. And yeah, another thing to consider when you're looking at life jackets is what boat you're going to be wearing them in. I know with the kayaks, some of the life jackets that have the really low back or the the, the back float of it that comes really far down are really uncomfortable sit in the kayak seats so that's another thing to consider and they make special life jackets for that kind of for kayaks and things like that so because again if it's uncomfortable to sit and use it you're not going to wear it yeah um one thing i've I've, i don't know if this is necessarily truth or it's just something that you know you see a lot more uh i used to spend a lot of time down at the lake of the ozarks and you used to see a lot of those neoprene ones were more for faster moving boats i don't know if that i mean have you all seen any kind of is that really a I don't know if that's really a thing or whether that's just, you know, everybody likes the neoprene ones because they look cooler. Uh, but generally when you see people out on jet skis and stuff, they're usually not wearing those cheap foam ones. Uh, you know, I think that makes sense because those cheap foam ones, they hurt when you hit the water over 25 miles an hour on a jet ski or something like that. 
you're going to get thrown off. You're going to throw, you know, somebody's going to throw you off, or you're going to do something, just you're going to try to hit a wave or something to get thrown off. Uh, same with some of those little, like, uh, Ski-Doo makes a little boat that you can get thrown out of pretty easy. So they're a lot more comfortable when you get thrown out. They do make some really high-end life jackets that they don't, they're really small until they have a CO2 cartridge in them, and you pull a string, or there's different ways you set them what off. Is it uh, Yellow Jacket? or No, not Yellow Jacket. You see, them, you see them advertised on fishing shows. The issue with those, again, if you're fishing by yourself, those probably aren't the safest bet because if you get knocked out again and you hit your head or something like that, that life jacket does you no good because you're not conscious to pull the string and set it off. Well, then some of them have water. They, have the, they detect when you get in the water. I personally, I don't like any of those. Um, my reasoning for that is, you know, yeah, if I get knocked out or something, I forget to pull the string. That, or if the sensor in there or whatever it is that detects water, for some reason, it doesn't go off. Uh, I forget to replace the CO2 cartridge. The CO2 cartridge gets popped while it's in the boat or something like that. I don't know it. I need that life jacket because I'm drowning. I go to hit it, and it doesn't inflate. Uh, I, I just don't trust the you know the self-inflating life jackets for those reasons. Um I mean, do you all do you all have any kind of preference on life jacket beyond that? I mean, I mean, materials. Don't skip out on money just because it's more expensive. You don't want to spend the money. It's safety. Yeah, this is your life. So, I would say go and spend the extra thirty dollars or forty dollars. Yeah, cause, I mean, you can get you can get a decent. You know, it's an XPS brand, but you I think my mine was a fairly nice one. I got it on sale at uh, Bass Pro. I want to say it was like forty dollars, and that was. 10 years ago and it's still you know I wear, used to wear it all the time every weekend I was wearing it and it still feels and fits like it's brand new and I've gained a lot of weight and it still stretches out and you know can fit around me just fine another big part of safety cell phones everybody's got them these days and bring your cell phone with you in case something happens we talked about last week get a waterproof yes waterproof case uh, prime example, Michael and I were out in a boat last year, and it started getting dark. We missed our turn off on the river. We got lost, and having a cell phone there, we could pull up and get a map, got us turned back around, and got us out of there. And if we hadn't had a cell phone, we could have ended up in a lot worse situation than we were. So even things like that, maps, calling for help if something happens, you run out of gas, anything weird like that, it's everybody's got one. Get a waterproof case so the phone's there when you need yeah, it. Because if you boat enough, you are going to need it at some point in time. Walmart, you can get a waterproof case that's like uh, Outdoor Trails, I think is the brand. You can get one that'll fit pretty much any cell phone on the market, and it's like six bucks on, you know, when, you know, when they're most expensive. You can usually find them on some kind of sale, you know, at Walmart or Bass Pro or Cabela's or somewhere. I have a life proof on my phone, and, uh, I really like that because you can submerge the actual phone itself yeah, in the water. Yeah, they're not submerged for; they can't stay submerged for very long. It's it's uh, actually they're designed to. They're designed for a few minutes, I believe. I, I like them because you know you know you don't need a case in in the event that everything does get wet, including your hands and whatever not. You can use them, and uh, you know you don't have to worry about breaking your phone or anything. You don't have to worry about it shorting out. So that's why I like them. Yeah. Same thing with, uh, we were talking about the waterproof cases. Waterproof cameras are nice. Um, if you don't have a waterproof camera, you can put your camera in those same cases. Everybody likes to have pictures of what you're catching and doing out there. That's another another cheap investment, so you can have a little more fun out on the water. Anybody got anything else you want to talk about with boat safety? Um, going back to the life jackets, on my boat, I keep uh, three, three spare life jackets, and then I have everybody bring their own on my boat, just because, you know, the more the better. 
uh, we have those casting those casting foam little square seats or whatever they are also that in case somebody falls off uh, say we're in the Missouri River and it's really turbulent you could know, throw that you can throw that at them if they don't have a life jacket near you so that's why I like to have those around on the life proof cases I just looked it up just to make sure and it actually is a little bit better than I thought it was uh, they're the life proof cases, if anybody's not familiar with them, they are Otterbox's high-end cases. Uh, they're they're made they're essentially the same thing as the Otterbox. They just have a little bit. They're just slightly more rugged, um, but they are they are rated for two meters for one hour. So that means you can only have it in two meters deep in water for one hour. Uh, I still personally wouldn't trust that. I mean, they they do. I, you know, it might be fine. That's that's one thing. I prefer the little waterproof boxes because the a those float. Your cell phone in a case doesn't float. That is true. Um, you, it's it's gonna sink, and you know you may not find it. Uh, those boxes, you put them in there. You know, it's it's gonna float, so you'll be able to find it whenever the boat flips over, uh, the boat sinks, whatever. That's gonna float and get you up in there. And those are those are a lot. Honestly, they're a lot cheaper than those life-proof cases. And if you really want to go all out. Get a life-proof case and that because that's going to allow you to use it while your hands are wet, uh, you know, while you're in the water floating around, whatever. Um, another thing that's, you know, good for a cell phone, if you're going to be on the water, get you could get um, some cases that have tethers that you can put in there. So you can put a tether in there. So if something does happen and you can grab that phone, take it out of the box, wherever, put that tether around your arm so in case... You get a boat that comes up next to you and, you know, doesn't realize you're in trouble or whatever, just thinks you're out having a good time, knocks your cell phone on your hand, it doesn't fall down to the water. So a tether's also a good idea on that. Um, Michael mentioned that as well, the seats, those tossable seats. Those are a great backup option. I wouldn't I wouldn't go out there thinking that's your only uh, personal flotation device. Keep those as backup options. Uh, and also keep some rope on there for those. Those work really well as lifesavers. So, you know, like the circle lifesavers you see at the pool. Everybody sees them. You could just tie a piece of rope on that if somebody's drowning or something. You could toss that to them. Don't go in and try to try to pick them up and carry them out of the water. Generally, what ends up happening is you have, instead of one person in trouble, you have two people in trouble. Um, people are going to panic, and as soon as you touch them, they can carry you down with them. Uh, I don't care how good of a swimmer you are. That's generally what happens. Um, so if, you know, do that as a last resort, but generally you want to throw something to them to help them float and you can use, throw those seats at them. They'll grab a hold of them. There's little handles on, they can grab a hold of them and you can pull them into safety. Other things to consider when you're going out in a boat, sunscreen. A lot of people forget about that. Um, you can end up hurting yourself pretty bad, getting burned, leads to dehydration. And when you're out on the water, you're getting a lot of sunlight reflected back up at you. So that can be important. Sunglasses. Even on a cloudy day. Yep. Sunglasses, too. Little things like that. Always remember water. A lot of times you're out there and you don't think about water because you're sitting in water, but you get thirsty. All those things can help keep you safe, help keep you have a good time. And this may not be total safety, but uh, something that I feel is kind of important. Generally, I feel is important anytime I'm out on the water. Uh, but you know, especially when you're boating, if you're, if you are driving the boat, have a decent pair of polarized sunglasses on polarized sunglasses, help you cut through the glare on the water to see what's below there, because you might have a trunk sunken tree below there and polarized sunglasses might be able to help you see that a little bit better, especially on some of the clearer streams that we fish in. 
Uh, it's a lot. It's a lot better to have those. I personally never go on the water without some kind of polarized sunglasses because of that. Whether I'm fishing, whether I'm boating, whether I'm swimming, I usually just don't go on the water without polarized sunglasses just so I know what's in the water. Um, you know, it just it gives you know allows you to see a little bit farther down the water. Another nice handy thing to have is a knife. Yeah, you never know when you're going to get hung up in something. There's lots of ropes and lines and stuff people leave out in creeks, rivers, all over the place. Having a knife, you never know when you might end up needing it. It's nice to have. Keep it in your pocket. Um, your life jacket's got like pockets on it. Put it in there. If you get tangled up in a rope and your knife's, you know, in the in the some box in your in the in your boat and you can't get to it, it's not really doing you any good. Yeah. All right. You. I mean, I think we've covered a lot of the safety issues. I think we're. You all have anything else you want to add? Alright, uh, well, what we're going to do is we're going to cut to a product review. Drew's got a uh, case that he's wanting, a gun case that he's going to review. Uh, we're actually going to do something different we're going to try out this week. We're going to record this actually in the podcast, but we're also going to make a video version of this available on our YouTube channel. Um, or on our Facebook page. And, and our Facebook page. We're going to make that available for you so you can actually get a, a look at what we're showing you, kind of maybe... Um, you know, in case you have questions about it or anything. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and pause this right now. We're going to cut. We're going to cut over the video. We're going to get the video ready and everything like that. And we'll join you back up here in a minute. All right. This is a Pelican 1720 case, and I've been looking into these Pelican cases for a while now. I know a couple people who have them, and they all gave a good review on them. They are kind of pricey. This one I picked up for about two hundred forty dollars after tax at Midway USA. Um, this is for your mid-length rifles, I would say. I mean, they make a 44-inch case for your long guns. Uh, this is not a long gun case, unless you have a collapsible stock. It's, uh, rotor-molded plastic like a kayak, which is, uh, extremely durable. It's uniform thickness, so it's not injection-molded. It is rated for aircraft, so it... It has a rubber O-ring inside that keeps the air tight and water tight, and so when you go up in a plane, there's problems with suction and air pressures, but it has a release valve here on the side that relieves all the pressure, so it's flight safe, it's travel safe, it's extremely durable, you can throw it around. Here's the air release valve, and it actually also comes with wheels here on the back end, so you can run it like a suitcase. Does have a handle on the top here. It is I don't know if handles on either side, and then it has a middle handle here. It has four locking ports here for padlocks, chain locks, anything. I guess you could lock it with. It's probably a good idea to get a tag for it with your name, address, and everything in case you do lose it somewhere at an airport, gets stolen, anything like that. Um, I'd recommend keeping it locked if you're going to keep it out in the bed of a truck, anywhere it can get broken into and taken, especially if you're traveling, keep it locked. Um, I usually don't. I now, just can got these fit it, so. standard cable locks through it? Uh, I'm not sure. I need to try that out. I haven't seen, I haven't tested it yet, so. I know padlocks, most padlocks work in it just fine, so. Well, the cable lock would be nice to put in the back of the truck. You could lock it up to something, yeah. To so they can't just take it and it's locked. Um, it's got these easy release levers here all the way down and some of the newer ones actually have a button release so you just push it and it snaps in and then you hit the button and pull up and it releases those are I think the larger and more expensive cases this is the dark earth they also come in black and I believe some of their cases are in OD green 
all drab, but I'm not 100% on that one. It, this is my AR, I have in it right now, and it's three layered, uh, I'm not even sure what type of foam this is, but it's just a three layer foam system here, and you take out, well you don't take out this middle layer, but you, you can cut it to whatever, you, whatever needs you have. If you had a camera tripod and cameras in here, you can do that. You can run multiple handguns or just gear. As I have it right now, it's just the AR and some magazines. I've got a little bit of room left in the end there if I wanted to put a silencer, um, a bipod, anything that's about two inches deep. So these are double deep on the mags, but there's a third layer of plastic of foam here that I could run four mags if I chose to, but under this last layer of foam, it is just the case. So you usually just cut out this middle section and now are you able to, I mean, it looks like you could fit two guns in here if, if you were wanting to. Uh, yeah, you could run. I don't know if you could fit two guns this long in there. Maybe without, if you weren't running optics yeah. on top of them. Yeah, no optics. You could fit it a little closer. You want to have about an inch of foam just so nothing's pushing too hard on each other. And it almost like you could run one optics and one not if you were running, if you were, you know. These cases are, stuff. I mean, they're not designed for ARs, but they're great for ARs because you can run one lower with an upper assembled. And if I didn't have my magazines right here, I could run a second low upper right here and have basically two guns in one case. And you can actually get the instant cement or contact cement and glue this section of foam to the next one. But I've been talking to a friend of mine, and he says when you do that, you want to take the foam out of the case, and when you glue it, let it dry out for a couple of days, because the fumes off of the glue will actually ruin your rubber O-ring along the top here. And he says it can get kind of pricey to replace it, and it's... Pain, so now what would be the benefit of gluing them together when you pull the rifle out or when you pull anything out it things tend to catch because you want it to be a tight fit but you want don't want it to be too restrictive but on these guns there's a lot of sharp edges and there's a lot of things to catch so when you're pulling it out it tends to pull up with it so it it can be I mean it's all preference if you don't want to glue it you don't have to glue it I have yet to decide whether I'm going to glue it or not but this is the way I have it right now. I, I might cut the foam a little, little bit more later on. This is with a razor blade, so it actually took me a while. A sharp, a long knife? No, maybe not a long knife, but a very sharp knife is what I'd recommend. And I've actually seen guys use the electric, like turkey blades, and they use a sharpie to outline the rifle, start the cuts with knives, and then use the electric saw for the longer, straighter. Now, motions. can you buy? replacement foam inserts you can. because this isn't uh you all can't obviously feel it. this is not your standard foam no this that is you pretty can, dense yeah it's a nice heavy dense foam it's not the foam you can go get at the craft store or anything um so can, you can buy replacement you foam can buy these. when you buy it, it comes as a three set so you get the top the middle and the lower because they do sell a case with no foam at all and it's just the case but that's kind of pointless. that's more of a that's more of a um like equipment case not necessarily yeah you could run case. something in there because uh, Pelican does make cases for everything from phones to yeah, cameras to cameras and everything like that. Any kind of gear. They make some that are just small rectangles, and then they make one bigger than this, actually. Come, I'm not sure how long it is, but it's a little deeper. I think they even a make kayaks now, don't they? I think so. Yeah, yeah they, they, they're, really, they're really good with the rotor molding, so they're really starting to spread out now. Um, it, I think it runs for about 60 to 80, somewhere in there. 
for all three sets of foam. It's kind of pricey, so when well, you cut it out, you want to make sure that's the cutout you want for then. Where I was getting with that is you could potentially use the same case for any gun that'll fit in it. You just have to buy. You would just have to buy a different piece of foam to uh, to cut for each gun. So you just you know you could have four different insert foam inserts, to, you know, for all your different guns. I say. I've seen people do it. I don't really recommend it because you want a full... You really want it to pancake so that the rifle, especially if you have optics in here, doesn't want to move at all. Because in the way it's set up right now, I could I could drop it, I could roll it, things can hit it, and the optics, they're not going to move. The gun will be fine because it has full foam contact. But I've seen them, some other people do it where they cut out the middle section for the rifle they're running, the magazines, the gear, and then they also cut the top section out so they can flip the two whenever they're running different rifles. Yeah... Yeah, I mean, okay. It just so pulls out. It's the same thickness. It's, yeah, this okay. Is, it's all, it's all, they're all two inch. It's just the very bottom one is a little shorter on the ends to fit in for the handles and the way the bottom of the case, just the curvature of it. But you can cut the top and the middle one out. I don't recommend it because then you're not, you're not getting that full seal you want. Yeah. And then on the seal, is there anything special or is this just a rubber gasket? Uh, it's, it feels like a rubber gasket. It's, it's just a rubber O-ring, basically. Okay. It's like, not a hard... No, I wouldn't want to beat on it. I wouldn't pick at it or anything. I'd leave it alone. Try to keep this dirt and debris free. These cases are watertight. I do not believe they're submersible, but they are watertight and they do float. So There's no they, reason for They are somewhere. very heavy, though. Compared to some cases, yes. I actually have a metal gun case for shotguns, and it, it really beats this one on weight. But if you're running a gun like this that gets pretty pricey, the case is nothing. You, you want the most durable... Um, I can't get a durable case you want or you can get and they do make I believe one that's deeper than this by about an inch so if you have something that's more of a I think you could run a bolt gun with the bolt in the gun I mean I don't recommend shipping it around with the bolt in but if you had a gun with you know optics or attachments on side the side mounted, yeah, yeah side mounted optics and flashlights so lasers I've only actually had this case a couple days. So you, so you haven't really done a full. Yeah, test we haven't torture tested. Okay. We haven't. So we might we might retouch on this. Yeah, we might. Yeah, probably deer season around deer season. I would say yeah. we'll retouch on this and uh, give a better in depth review. Um, but yeah, it looks looks like a solid case. So yeah. Uh, all right. Well, excited to see how this holds up. Right now, we're gonna go over what what we're looking forward to this week. Kind of uh, week ahead. Uh, you know what? What? What things we're excited? New whether it's new products, you know, a, different adventures we're doing on, we're working on uh, something new we've got. Just anything we're kind of excited about that has to do with the outdoors. Uh, since Michael's our guest here today, we'll start with him. Um, what I'm most excited about is um, I'm going to be looking into new uh, five weight, into a new five weight rod. Uh, the one I've got right now is a pretty cheap uh, Bass Pro brand that I've been using for quite some time. Um, you know, I've got a three weight and a seven weight that are TFO. both for uh, very specific things. Uh, the three weight's mainly for very small streams. Um, mainly yeah, you're talking fishing. about fly rods, right? Right, fly rods. Um, the, the seven weight I mainly use for bigger lakes, like what I was explaining earlier. The five weight's more of a general um, rod for medium-sized water. Um, I know most everybody else here uses a five weight for a... Uh, for various things, and I really like five weights a lot. Um, Do you look for fast action? Or? 
I mean, I know you're you're more into it's the streamers. And yeah, you're, yeah. So a little bit of nymphing. Yeah. Um, I don't run dry flies too much. Um, I'm, he's not a man. Whatever. <laughs> um, and mend it. And mend. And mend. And uh, yeah, actually, that's if anybody, you know, if you want to catch on that, we might actually reference that more when we talk about fly rods. Go check out Hank Patterson's. Uh, just check out all of, all of his videos on YouTube if you're into fly fishing at all. They're hilarious. And that's actually, that whole thing's to support a good cause. Sorry for the interruption. Oh, you're fine. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm looking at uh, new five weights. I don't really know exactly how nice I want to go quite yet. Um, looking in maybe the three to $400 range, I really want to get something that's going to last a while that I'm really going to enjoy. I'm going to get good use out of. Uh, TFOs are pretty nice. I do like them. And you can get them for under 200 Um... I was looking maybe even at a sage. I'm not really sure yet. I'm Reddington gonna, makes a real nice rod. Yeah, Reddingtons are really nice too. Yeah, Reddington is sages like it's the lower. Yeah, it's not really the because actually I believe they have a brand even lower than Reddington. It's their mid range stuff. Uh, I don't know. Kind of the way I understand it, it's factory seconds. Maybe I'm not sure. That's just kind of what I've heard. But I have a Reddington and I love it. Um, and absolutely right. I fish just Reddington and it's it's awesome. And they have a great warranty if you break it. Um, yes, they do. Yes, they do. Um, so, looking forward to that. Looking forward to uh, hitting up some trout parks um, in the next week or so. Haven't haven't been down to do that as much as I'd like to. So, hopefully we can get some trout fishing out of the way. Um, Drew? Yeah. Um, next week here, just outside of Columbia at Hallsville, they're going to be hosting the Bianchi Cup which is a uh, pistol shooting competition. There's going to be a lot of world-renowned shooters there. It's kind of um, a big deal around here. It's a pretty big deal around everywhere. Well, yeah. I mean, we, yeah. They host a lot of guys. I know there's some guys flying in from Japan and some European guys coming in. Uh, is it uh, something Michelek? Jerry? Jerry Michelek. Yeah. He used to come, and he used to, um, I believe, win a lot of those. He, he's <laughs> I a think the last few times he came, he came more just for publicity. Just for show, yeah. yeah. He's a world-renowned handgun shooter he has a couple world records for speed shooting and he's big on the revolvers i'm actually going to jump up there and go watch it it's free it's at the uh green valley shooting club in hallsville if anyone who's listening in the area wants to go should be a lot of fun um there's going to be some stalls set up i think fn is bringing a stall and <sighs> there's a shotgun company coming i'm not exactly sure who it is i just Talked briefly with the guns. They don't do they don't do competitions for shotguns, but they do have um, they do have like trick shows and stuff. They do they do do some side stuff. And I was talking to an owner of a gun store here in town, and he was saying that the FN stall might be letting people test out rifles and pistols. They're not one hundred percent sure on that yet. He hasn't actually met with the guy yet, so I'm just going to jump up there for maybe a day, maybe two, and see what's going on. Should be a lot of fun. So what I'm looking forward to this week is, well, actually it's this coming weekend, I'm going up north to where northern Missouri where we do a lot of our deer hunting and I'm going to put out all my trail cams for the year. I kind of did some pre-trail cam stuff a couple months ago. I put out some salt licks and stuff like that so to try to get the deer on them so we can kind of see what's in the area. And I'm going to go up, do a little scouting, put out some cameras, and that always gets me excited because I'm looking forward to pulling pictures in a month or two and seeing what's, what's growing out there and what we got to look forward to this fall. Yeah, uh, I'm kind of right there with Chris. Um, this is getting right into the busiest time of year for me at work, so I won't have too much time uh, at home during the week. I'll probably be working late into the night most days. Uh, so 
you know, this being a three day weekend, I'll probably end up, uh, me and the wife will probably go up to the cabin with Chris and go hang some, uh, hang some game cams and maybe do a little, well, definitely do a little fishing. I don't go up there and not fish. Um, you know, I've been known to fish during deer season. So, uh, definitely go hang trail cams, you know, go scout out. I'm kind of thinking I might either move my stand or set up a new stand somewhere. Uh, you know, kind of just get ready, kind of relax, relax outside. Uh, we've been working on the garden a lot here. Uh, strawberries are starting to come in. All the plants are starting to come up. You know, we might start, you know, it's looking like we might actually have uh, some early vegetables come off of there pretty good. So just that and general spend, try and spend as much time outdoors as possible. One other thing we're looking forward to next weekend when we're hanging game cams Coyote season just opened back up here in Missouri. It's open most of the year, but it closes down a little bit around turkey season. So we're hoping to try to go out and call some dogs and maybe shoot a couple. And if that goes well, you'll definitely hear us talking about that in the next podcast. So Yeah, I think we might actually try to do a uh, the podcast from up at the cabin next weekend. I think that might be might be fun, might give a you know, uh, different energy to the to the conversation and uh, you know that that might be fun. We don't know. We're gonna try. Just depends on how logistics work out for it. So uh, we might also, if we do that, I don't know, is Greg, has he, is we, he coming up I'm there? I'm not sure. I haven't talked to him. So we might have some other guests that hunt with us up there that might might hop in for part of the podcast or all of it. We'll just kind of play it by ear and see how the weekend works out for us. All right. Uh, is there anything anybody else wants to add before we wrap this up? I don't know if anybody got, you know, anything to look at. All right. Well, we want to thank Michael for joining us for something. Yep, I was going to say, remember, if it's brown, it's down, and if it flies, it dies. All right. Well, like I said, we want to thank Michael for joining us. Uh, hopefully, he'll be back. He, you know, he does have a weird schedule, and you know, we can't always we can't always get this lined up to work with him. But you know, we'll do our best, and hopefully, um, he can join us some more more often. Uh, I do also want to point you all towards our Facebook page again. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel. It is very early. We haven't even put a. Um, Put an icon or anything on there. We do have one video uploaded. It's of a first first look at a headlight that I got this week. Uh, it's pretty awesome. I'm hoping that maybe not the next ca- uh, podcast, but the next one, I'll have a full review on it. I want to go use it up at the cabin a little bit. We can, uh, you know, go test it out, get it wet, get it dirty, try it up there, see how long it lasts. Um, and we also have an email for comments now. Um, it is theoutdoorcast at gmail.com if you want to send us comments uh questions anything like that uh we would like to if you know we get questions we would like to answer questions on the show um so please send us your questions we would love to answer them we'd love to hear from people uh you know just feel free to reach out us other places you can reach out us on uh you can rate us on itunes you can rate us on soundcloud uh go through just leave us comments comments are always welcome good bad or indifferent and also you can find us on Pocket Cast. It's an app for iPhone and Android, so you can find us on there. Just look for the Outdoor Cast. All right. Well, everybody have a good week, week and enjoy the outdoors.